joining our strong wall for the next 60 minutes. We'll try and finish just before the hour so you will have time for your next call or your next meeting. Um, thank you for taking the time also um, to hear from our certified coaches on the techniques to become more effective leaders. For those of you who do not know me, I am Gwen Wilcox. I'm the Chief Operating Officer of Armstrong Wolf and also the head of the Women in the CEO Community Programme. And I'm joined by Cressida Hamilton and Andrew Groot. Both have been uh, senior leaders in financial markets and are now certified coaches, as I said. And it is also a great pleasure to welcome them to today. Thank you all for joining. I can see there's a, a lot more people than about two minutes ago, so that's all good. Um, and as a chief operating officer advisory firm um, for financial markets and asset managers here at Armstrong Wolf, we increasingly see businesses uh, spending budget and effort in coaching their leaders as a more desired pathway to progress in returning to BAU and also keep staff attrition low, as we are all grappling with the practicalities of agile and hybrid working. We are all adapting to new working models, to people being away from the office, to digital platforms like this one, now established as a main tool of communication. They are all fantastic opportunities, of course, for employees. And at the same time, as leaders, we need to keep productivity high and retain a high level of team engagement. So it's quite a lot going on. If you are a leader or new to leadership and joined us today, this session should provide you with coaching techniques to remain effective and successful as we are transitioning into new work practices. This is an active session where we'll be asking you uh, live questions throughout this presentation. So if you don't mind, please have your phone ready. Uh, we'll ask you at one point to scan a QR code or perhaps have a browser open with menti.com, M-A-M-E-N-T-I.com. It's live polling. Um, just the last bit of housekeeping. We will be muting yourself, or if you are muted, please mute yourself simply because of the background noises. Um, but the chat facility on the bottom right-hand corner is open for those of you who have disabled. And you are always welcome to ask questions or react to the content uh, that you hear. Ask questions at any point, please. That's your session. It's for you. So let's start. Cressida and Andrew, over to you. Hello, hopefully you can hear me loud and clear. Um, Chris and myself are delighted to be with you here today uh, to discuss and engage on essential coaching techniques to be a more effective leader. So if we can go to the first slide, my first question to you um, is, hopefully it'll change over. Wait. It is the first slide. Mm, can we move to the second slide then, if that's the first slide? <laughs> Thank you so much. My first question to you is this. Are you growing uh, or are you dying? It can only be one or the other. A plateau never truly exists. It's either a gradual incline, a gradual decline, a rise or a fall, or as in this picture, green growth on one side or desert decay on the other. And hopefully there's no debate that we all should want to continuously learn and grow. But I ask you this because we don't often reflect if we're actually doing it. Are we growing? So ask yourself this question. Are you currently growing your skills and what type of growth do you have? Take a pen, write it down, think for a second, just start getting into this mode of coaching and thinking um, and say to yourself, am I currently growing or um, and what type of growth is that? Because in my experience, 
you can see how we measure or describe our growth by the achievements of our CV. That's how we describe things. We say, I saved X dollars, I implemented Y systems, I delivered Z benefits with my team. But the most powerful skills we need to grow are those that develop ourselves and those around us. But these skills um, aren't easy to gain. And, and this slide really sums up why if we flick over. Little cartoon, um, and you know, while you look, take it in, um, you can argue this slide would be very different. It was a prehistoric woman rather than a prehistoric man. Uh, but in reality, we're all so busy with work deadlines, the annual rhythms of appraisals, rankings, bonuses. Um, you just aren't working on yourself, and, uh, on yourself enough. Um, you're pulling the rocks, you move the business forward, um, but you're not really thinking about taking on board a balanced development for yourself or others. And it's not that the skills gained when you're delivering for your company and pulling those rocks, they're not valuable. They clearly are valuable, but they're focused on today's problems and not specifically developing your personal leadership or strategic skills. And you can go through a whole career, actually, with this approach. In fact, many people talk about a 20 year, 25 year in banking, 15 year in banking. So it's an amazing thing. But in reality, after maybe the first five years, the rest that follow often rinse and repeat of the same. There's not truly true learning for yourself. So I contend that it's developing you and your journey to high performance leadership that will help allow you get the best out of yourself and your team. So how do you accelerate your learning journey and those around you to high performance leadership? Well, uh, it brings us on to the benefits of coaching and the delivery of some coaching essentials. Uh, for you to practically take away um, to, as leaders today. So if we move on to the next slide, which is there already, um, I just sort of want to start by saying that the only failure for me today, and it's, I'm sure the same is true for Cressida, is your failure um, to participate. I want you to give 100% of the session today, because if you that way, if you give 100%, you're going to get back 100%. Um, but let's just think for a moment what would happen if you gave 70%. Let's, let's open the chat room. Let's um, get in the chat box. If you gave 70% to this presentation today, what do you think you would get out of it? Let, let's just see. Put it in the chat box. It's not a trick question. There we go. Rebecca, thank you. 70%. Still more than zero. Mm, true. I like it. Anything else? Thank you. Can let's see some more lose that chat box. 70%. Less than 100%. True. All true. Yeah. Can we have a few more? 70%. Yeah. There we go. That's getting closer. I like this one. It's, it's, the fact is, you will, if you give 70%, you will get less than 70%. It's the myth of multitasking. If you give 100%, you're going to get 100%. And why, why would I ask this of you in the first place? This is coaching tip number one. When coaching, first ensure the coachee actively chooses to commit to the learning. If they don't, they won't give it. They'll try and multitask. So, question for you all. Are you going to give Cresta and myself 100% of participation today? If you can, raise your hands using the reaction button. I'm going to look across the that and I'm going to see if we can get 100%. Let's see what the participation levels are like. Scroll across the screen. Let's see it. Let's raise those hands. Let's raise those hands. Hands up, hands up. I'm not seeing all hands up. Okay, I'm seeing some hands up. Is that just using the technology? Yeah, nice big hand there. Thank you for that. Listen, first thing, participation levels getting high. Thank you for that. We're next going to get some context for you as a group. Um, and as Gwen's already said, we're going to use Mentimeter. Um, so I'd like you to pull up a web page. Um, go to the next slide, please. Um, and then or scan the code. Get your, get your mobile phone out. Put the camera on. We're all used to QR code now. And scan that code in your phone. Um, 
if you want to type it in, you can see down there, it's menti.com. You put it in a separate window and use the code down there. I'm not going to read it out because well, you can see it's KRGH, but um, you, can, you can see that and type it in. Um, and I'm going to ask you three questions in a row. I'm just going to give you a second to get the Mentimeter up. Um, it does take, take people a little bit of time sometimes. Um, and there are three questions we're going to ask. So let's just give it another second or so. And uh, let's see how many responses we're going to get now. You're going to give 100% participation, okay, so that we can see this, because Mentimeter gives you, down the bottom right-hand side, how many people are getting on board. So, no excuses. Let's bring it up. And the first question, nice and simple, four choices. How familiar are you with the concept of coaching to improve team performance? Are you firstly not familiar, somewhat familiar, familiar, or very familiar? Oh, actually, can we go back to the code? Sorry. We're seeing in the chat room three four or five people popping up. Can we go back to the code? So back a slide, please, if possible. I'll tell you what I can do. Uh, maybe you should have thought it's already. Maybe, Gwen, you can beat me to it. Um, is I can put the code in the chat box, can't I? Yes, it is um, already, so Andrew. So it's menti.com slash this, um, this obviously series of uh, letters. Uh, Dan Andrews has done this for us. So if you look, look in the chat, you've got menti.com slash... K-R-J-H-K-X-3. I've put the code there if you want to it manually. Okay, brilliant. So let's go back to it. Um, back to Menti. Thank you so much, Lewis. There we go. So the first, first of three questions, right in submission, uh, in the sequence. How familiar are you with the concept of coaching to improve team performance? Are you firstly not familiar at all? Are you secondly somewhat familiar? Thirdly, familiar or finally very familiar. Let's see where we are as a team. Let's look for 100% participation and see what numbers pop up. Let's go. Really interesting to see what the results like. We should get some live feedback as it comes straight through. There we go, bang. So 74 participating, you can keep going up, see if we can reach 100. I don't know if people on the call, but let's um, see if we can get more. Look at that, so 4% not familiar, 45% somewhat familiar, 35% pretty familiar, and 16% very familiar. Nice curve, I'm just gonna write that down for later. I think it's really good. Okay, that's great for Cresta and me. Uh, it gives us a sense of where you're at, and we can obviously balance this um, presentation on the back of that. Um, so, second question, um, how often uh, do you use coaching when leading your team? So those who do use coaching, how often do you use it? I don't use it at all, um, I sometimes use coaching, I often use coaching, or I use coaching all of the time, every day. Okay, not dissimilar results. Interesting though, you had 16% that were very familiar with coaching but don't use it all the time, but that's interesting. Um, obviously on the whole then, occasional use. Um, with we'll see down there, uh, over 60% in that bracket. Okay, brilliant. Um, and the third and final question is, have you actually ever been formally coached before? I don't mean just occasionally, have you been formally coached before? Let's see um, how many people have been formally coached in the group. Um, never been coached, 37%. Um, okay, 24%, oh, changing through. I love that, by the way. Participation just dropped somewhat, we're at 65. 68, 72, back up a little bit more, please. There were 73, that's what we had last time. 
Can we go any higher than that? It looks like 73 percent, uh, 73 people in the room, which is great. So 38 percent never been coached before. 41 percent never been coached before. 42 percent it's going up. An awful lot of people never been coached before. Um, and that's really interesting, really interesting to see that level of coaching awareness. Thank you so much. That's brilliant. Uh, take those numbers in. And uh, if we can switch back to the PowerPoint, that would be great. 23% interesting, have been coached. That's really good to see. So, um, you know, as the few of you do know, the 23%, coaching isn't an easy skill. In fact, um, it's so much easier just to tell someone what to do than to coach someone. It really is. But the era we're in now, we have to trust and inspire our team, not command control. You can't possibly know everything as, as leaders. So the challenge is to develop and unleash the inherent talent in our people through coaching. And you'll see on this slide here, um, Jim Rohn, one of America's best ever philosophers. He said, never wish your life were easier. Wish that you were better and work harder on yourself than you do on your job. No truer words were said. His quote was taken from one um, of his best books. It's this one here, Seven Strategies for Wealth and Happiness. Um, it's short and totally recommendable read. Um, totally recommend it. Um, definitely read it once a year, just to improve your personal life. Um, and if you take in his statements, they're just totally life-changing, the magnitude. And it leads us to tip number two. If you want to become a good coach, get an external coach yourself. In fact, you have to if you want to be authentic. Well, why? Well, in banking in particular, it's important we all adopt, adopt a coaching leadership style because banking was once the leading uh, industry for performance coaching. You might not believe it now. It's running way behind other industries, particularly the tech companies where graduates prefer to go. And why do they prefer to go there? Well, why is it declined? Because in banking, coaching has become seen as a short term cure for those who are struggling and not for those who are high performing and wanting to go higher. Very different to other industries. But there are exceptions. Got to give it to Goldman, CEO. He's got a coach. Um, and I understand Standard Chartered are developing their Leaning In program. I look forward to seeing some of the results of those. Uh, but to help you today, we're going to switch to the next slide. Um, we're going to cover three areas. The first one um, is putting coaching in context. And Chris is going to take us through that. She's also going to take us through um, giving us a model on how to deliver coaching. And then um, I'm going to finish um, with getting ready for change. Um, and where are the coaching tips I hear you say? Well, they'll be going to be delivered uh, along the way. You've had two already. Um, and I'm going to continue with another couple of quick ones in a row. So if we can take um, the camera off for a second, sorry, this PowerPoint down for a second, um, it'd be great um, to talk about a little coaching tip um, about the process of learning. Um, there are a couple of things that are very difficult um, in learning. Um, and first one is making sure that the people you're coaching um, are ready to be coached. Um, and the thing about learning is this, there are a few words that can kill you learning and a few words that can encourage learning. The two words that absolutely can kill learning at any one point in time, actually, if you can guess them. I think it'd be a bit hard, actually, for you to put that in the chat box here for me to read it from this distance. But the two words are this thing, absolutely kill learning in one fell sweep like this. And they're very commonly um, used in banking, and they are this. I know. You hear it all the time. I know that. I know that. And just even as I say that now, you know, you guys are on mute, so you can say it to yourselves. Say the words, I know, and you can see what happens. You instantly shut down. Things shut down. You absolutely can't um, take in your information. You close down your viewpoint. In fact, in some ways, you've almost, uh, in your brain, 
not sure how to work take it on board. So we'll try and think of something different. And that's a really interesting thing about learning. You want to adapt new language. So the next time you want to say, I know, don't say I know. Think of something different. And the most powerful words we've come up with that you can adopt are these. This phrase. Don't say I know. Say um, <coughs> this. Um, yeah, isn't that in here? Oh, so I'm trying to change colour. One second. Say this. Isn't that interesting? Say it to yourself now. Isn't that interesting? And what happens? Don't you feel your brain opens up? That is that interesting. You're opening yourself to possibilities. You're opening yourself to the possibilities um, of learning. And that's a really important thing. Tip number two. Make sure that everyone who participates actually makes that conscious choice and catch yourself. If we could switch back, that would be wonderful uh, to the PowerPoint. That's tip number three. Um, and if we go to the next slide and the following one, there we go. Isn't that interesting? Try and use that. And the next slide, please. There we go. What can you expect during this session um, or when you coach at all? Um, during the session, you set BFOs um, and we can keep going with the animation on the slide. That stands for blinding flashes of the obvious. And you might have had some already, light bulb moments. There'll be points that directly resonate with you and the more the better. Hopefully you've already got one. Uh, but when you do, I want you to make a note of these and write them down. Because um, before we finish, I want to put them on the chat box and I'll be asking you to share them because it's tip number four. If the coachee reflects and writes it down, it will cement it into the brain. And by sharing with others, everyone will have a second chance of applying it to their lives. And that's the thrill of coaching, to be quite frank, uh, is seeing people change for the better. And what a perfect time to hand over to Cresta to cover putting coaching in context and provide you with a coaching model. Cresta, over to you. Thank you, Andrew. There's a reason why we put Andrew at the beginning of all of these events, because his energy and enthusiasm is always, always great. So there you go. You've got four tips already. So our work here is done. Um, so as Andrew said, I'm going to do a couple of things. I'm going to put coaching into context for you. So give you a little bit of a background to coaching and the evolution of coaching. I'm going to tell you what coaching is and what coaching isn't why it actually is so useful to you as leaders and why positioning is everything. And when we talk about positioning, we're talking about your positioning and your intent. And, and those of you that have been through coaching or some element of coach training will understand the concept of intent. Um, and then I'll talk you through the model. Uh, next slide, please, Lewis. So, Right, so don't worry too much about the pictures that you're going to see in front of you. I'll introduce these fabulous people in a second. The concept of coaching. So coaching is not just a process. It's not just a practice. It's a way of life. And so some argue, some academics, coaching academics and coaching historians argue um, that actually the father of coaching was in fact Socrates, which means that coaching actually, by my estimation, dates back to about 1470 BC. So it's been happening since the dawn of time. And the reason why people associate coaching with Socrates, because Socrates was very much about 
an, an examined life. He was very much around self-examination, understanding why we're here, understanding our purpose and our passion and helping others do the same. And he was famously quoted as saying, an unexamined life is not a life worth living. So coaching has been around since the dawn of time, but actually coaching as we know it now really started in around about the 1970s with sports coaching. So if you look at the, the three pictures, I'm actually going to start with the gentleman on the right. So the gentleman on the right uh, with the dark shirt on is a chap called Timothy Galway. And Timothy Galway wrote an incredible book called The Inner Game of Tennis. And he wrote this book in 1974. And some of you might be familiar with this book. So he was in the sports field. Um, but what was so incredible about his book and so seminal about his work was the fact that actually his concept was that when you're playing tennis, the opposition is not the person across the net. The opposition is what's going on for you up here. So he really started to coin the concept of content-free coaching. So by using content-free coaching, by using suspended judgment, by simply working with professionals or amateurs alike um, and helping them do a few things, reduce their self-doubt, increase their self-confidence and increase their focus and concentration, actually he helped them improve their performance. And because it wasn't specific to a sport and wasn't about how you get better at facing off to your opponent, his book, The Inner Game of Tennis, or The Inner Game as it's more commonly known, has been brought into the business world and is used very effectively by a number of practitioners into the business world. So this is where we started to see the concept of coaching as we know it today. So fast forward a little bit to the 1990s. This was really the explosion of coaching. And actually the gentleman on the left is a gentleman called Thomas Leonard. Um, now Thomas Leonard was born in 1955, but in 1995, he founded the International Coaching Federation or ICF as they're more commonly known. And if you've never heard of the ICF, the ICF are the, probably the closest thing we have to a regulatory body in the coaching world, which in fact is actually you know, an unregulated industry. So he really started to professionalize coaching. And with that came framework, increased governance, lots and lots of coaching models and lots and lots of coaching books. Um, and actually, Andrew will tell you, we are both uh, students in coaching as well, constant students in, in coaching. But actually, as part of our curriculum, we both have to do an enormous amount of reading. And there are a plethora of phenomenally good books out there in, in coaching. And we'll recommend a few to you later on. But we really saw an explosion of great books in the 1990s. Um, and actually, the lady that you see in the middle is a personal favourite of mine. And we could have put up a number of pictures here. But this is a lady called Laura Whitworth. And she wrote a book called Coactive Coaching. And the reason why I've put her up here was, again, she was one of the first thinkers around coaching being a collaborative exercise between coach and coachee, and the idea that actually coaching was for the coachee 
and not for the coach. So then fast forward to where we are now. And as Andrew said, you know, coaching is having a real moment right now because actually we're going through an awful lot of change. And actually, countless research tells us that coaching techniques, um, either in the workplace or life coaching, can be incredibly helpful to people during times of change. And Andrew's going to cover that a little bit later on. So that's a bit of background. Lois, next slide, please. So what is coaching and what is it not? Um, so there's a few things here. Um, Lois, if you could bring up the animation. Great. So coaching. So coaching is non-directive. And I'll explain what I mean by non-directive. But Andrew alluded to it earlier. As leaders, you'll spend a lot of your time telling people what to do. That's partly what you're paid for. That's not coaching. Um, coaching is also coachy driven. So actually, and this is always a challenging thing to think about when you're actually in the workplace, particularly when you have mutual goals. But actually, coaching is driven by the coachee and the outcomes are for the coachee. So it's very much around what they get out of the process as opposed to what you want them to get out of the process. And sometimes they're not the same thing. So that's in brief what coaching is. Coaching is not... As Andrew said, it's not just for poor performers or indeed not just for high achievers. It's not doesn't have to be both ends of the spectrum. And sometimes coaching gets a bit of a bad rep because actually it's either used in poor performance situations or actually it's a marker of status. You know, I have an executive coach that my company is paying for. Coaching is for everyone. The other thing to remember for any of you who are interested in coaching as a as a career later on down the line. And obviously, I say this fully as somebody who's gone into coaching later on down the line, as has Andrew. But it's not just an easy second career. There's sometimes this view that coaching is something that you do after you've had a proper job. Um, and I can tell you and Andrew will tell you that, alas, that's not the case. Actually, there's a fair amount of work involved in actually being a coach. And the other thing is coaching is not a panacea for happy employees. Coaching will absolutely, if used correctly, increase the performance of your teams and of your direct reports and those around you. It absolutely does increase morale and research tells us that. But we can't guarantee you a happy workforce just through the use of coaching. So there's some things around around coaching. Next slide, please, Lois. So I talked a little bit earlier about non-directive, and that is what coaching is all about. So as leaders, you will invariably spend most of your time in the sort of bottom left of this slightly, slightly turvy um, oval. So you will be in the directive field. You will be instructing. You will be giving advice. You will be offering guidance. You'll be giving feedback and you'll be making suggestions. That's where you spend a lot of your time and particularly in, you know, some of the areas that you are working in the market space. As, as Andrew said, it's full on, it's fast paced and it's so much easier to tell people what to do than to help them figure out the answer. That's not coaching. So where coaching comes in is asking questions that raise awareness. It's that top right hand corner. It's summarizing 
paraphrasing, reflecting. It's listening to understand and to understand for you as an individual, but also to help increase the understanding of your coachee. So actually, what you get from using coaching is double the skills. You get double the toolkit from your normal style. The other thing to remember about coaching is, and it's reflected in this push-pull here, you know, and I'm sure I'm telling you something you already know, if you tell somebody what to do, so if you give them a fish, you feed them for a day, if you coach them, um, and if you help them to learn how to fish, you feed them forever. So that's putting coaching into context. Next slide, please. So the last thing to remember is know your intent, um, as that just popped up on the on the bottom of the previous screen. And I talked about this earlier. You have to remember that if you're going into coaching, it is about it is selfless. It is about how the coachee can grow and how the coachee can develop as a human being. It's not about where you want them to be, where you want them to go. So you do have to be very mindful when you're coaching somebody and think about what is it I'm trying to achieve here. Um, and remember that coaching is a little bit of a selfless act. So we're going to talk about uh, a coaching model, as Andrew said. So um, I love a book, um, which actually I, I don't have with me. It's in my handbag because I take it everywhere with me. Um, but I love a book by uh, an amazing woman called Julie Starr. So Julie Starr wrote the coaching manual. It is a book that we will recommend later on. So don't worry about writing it down now. It will be in the slides. And the coaching manual is a really great foundational book on everything you need to know about coaching, hence why it's called the coaching manual. But one of the things that Julie talks about is five fundamental skills. So five skills that you really need to hone and develop in order to be an effective coach and thereby an effective leader. And that's what we're going to go through now. So those five skills are one, the ability to build rapport or find chemistry two, active listening, three, intuition, four, asking effective questions and five, giving constructive feedback. So let's start with number one, rapport. Next slide, please, Lois. There she is. Brilliant. So, um, so some of you be thinking, OK, I think I know what rapport is. I'm not 100 percent sure. So what is rapport? So rapport is defined as a close and harmonious relationship where there's mutual understanding and effective communication between, you know, the, the two people. Invariably, it's two people. You might see high rapport relationship being described as warm. There's warmth between each person. It's a comfortable relationship. There's a kinship to it. There's a familiarity and there's good, there's good chemistry. The challenge with rapport is it's not easily observable. So we might say, OK, well, look, I know there's good rapport because actually I see two people, you know, I'm seeing they're in a restaurant or I'm seeing in a, bar, in a bar and they're leaning forward and there's lots of eye contact. That's that's often the markers that we get of of good rapport. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean there is good rapport because actually two individuals who are leaning in very closely, who are engaging in quite a lot of eye contact also happens in a high conflict 
situation as well. So sometimes we tend to misconstrue or misunderstand what rapport looks like. So one of the first ways to actually understand and to build rapport, um, and there's a question from Sarah, so I'm going to get Andrew because he'll be on it. He's on it already. So, Sarah, Andrew will come back with an answer on that one when I'm a bit further in. Um, so one of the ways to actually build rapport is firstly to observe. So observe the person that you're looking to coach. And there's two things to observe. So firstly, what is it they say? So what language are they actually using and how do they say it? So what's the tone of voice that they operate? What's the pitch of their voice, the volume? Are they shouting? Are they quiet? Is it, do they, are they talking fast? Are they talking slow? What's the resonance of their voice? And, you know, there's a very obvious example that we tend to use in coaching, which is the word really. So you could um, sit in front of me, make a statement, um, and I might say, really? You could sit in front of me, you could make a statement, and I might say, really? One word used very, very differently. So you really want to start to pay attention in a coaching conversation with what the person is saying and how they're saying it. That's the first thing. The second thing is nonverbal communication. And it's slightly more tricky when we're in a sort of Zoom, WebEx type environment, but it is easily achievable. So what are their facial expressions? Um, you know, and start to look at also some of the micro expressions as well. Are they smiling? Are they frowning? Um, how much eye contact are they making? Are they engaged? Are they not engaged? And if they're not, where are their eyes going? Because it's an often indicator of what they're thinking about. What's their body language like? Are they leaning forward? Are they leaning back? Are they open? Are they closed? So what's their body language? And the longer you observe and the more times you observe, the more you start to realize that individual's idiosyncrasies. So firstly, observe. The second thing to then do is to do what we call mirror and match. And some of you may have come across this concept because it's reasonably well known in the coaching space. But basically what you're looking to do is mirror and match the other person. So again, three ways of doing this. One is the use of clean language. So by that, I mean, use the language that that person uses. Use the words that they use. Don't use your interpretation of that word. And there's a few advantages of doing that. One is it increases understanding between you. You're both talking the same language. And if you're not sure what they mean by something, ask. Two, they feel really heard because actually you're repeating back something that they've said. And also sometimes the advantage is actually if you use their language and you play it back to them, they sometimes turn around and say, oh, is that really what I said? Oh, actually, no, I didn't mean that. So use clean language. And one of the one of the examples I can give you is a few weeks ago, I was facilitating um, two individuals who were practicing coaching. Um, so the coachee in this contrived situation was talking about this challenge at work. And he basically said, you know, look, I'm feeling very down I'm feeling very low. I'm not really loving my job. Um, you know, I'm not really enjoying it, um, you know, and I'd really like some help on that. 
So the coach then played back and said, oh, you know, I understand what you're saying. And I'm really sorry that you hate your job. And the coach, he went, no, 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 no. I never said I hated my job. No, I don't hate my job. No, that's not what I meant at all. I'm just having a really bad week, I suspect, and kind of backpedaled on it. So one word taken out of context, repeated back and 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 changed, really changed the dynamic in the coaching in the coaching conversation. So you do so think about the use of mirror and match. My one caveat with mirror and match is don't overdo it, particularly with body language, because sometimes it can feel a bit clunky. I have been mirrored and matched. I'm sure Andrew has as well. And you kind of know when it's happening. So you do have to be authentic at the same time. So that's mirror and match. Lois, next slide, please. So the next thing to talk about is active listening. Now, there are four types of listening. And obviously, Andrew has done a really great job of teeing you up for active participation. But in my experience, um, when we're on situations like webinars, most of you are in the first stage of listening, which is cosmetic listening. So cosmetic listening is I'm pretending that I'm listening. I'm looking like I'm listening, but actually I'm really somewhere else. And there will be some of you around the room who will be in that mode right now. You know, there'll be, okay, I've kind of got one ear, but actually my boss has just dropped me an email and I really have to concentrate on that because otherwise there's going to be a fire drill. Um, or actually I've got a meeting in 20 minutes time and what were the meeting minutes on it and am I prepped for it and so on. So cosmetic listening is, I'm pretending that I'm listening, but actually my head is elsewhere. And that has no place in coaching, I'm afraid. The second level of listening is called conversational listening. That's where we spend most of our time in a one-on-one -on -one situation. So I'm engaged in the conversation. I'm listening. I'm hearing you. I'm thinking. I'm processing what you're saying. I'm talking back. I'm thinking a bit more. I'm talking. So it's that shift between listening, thinking, and talking. So that's conversational listening. Where you really want to be in a coaching dialogue is in what we call active listening. So acting, active listening is I'm very focused on what you are saying. I'm really concentrating. I'm really listening and I'm really paying attention intently. You know, I have real positive intent in this. I might be recording some facts. You are certainly speaking more than I am. I might be asking some questions. There might be clarity questions, but actually I'm really focused on you. That's the, that is active listening and that's what we use in a coaching relationship. And then the last one, which most people consider to be a sort of Zen-like state, which is deep listening. And that is, I am totally focused on you. I'm not focused on me at all, but I'm focused on you with a real concentration on getting to know who you are, getting to know what you're about, and I'm barely speaking at all. Realistically, active listening is, is more than adequate. So how can you get to active listening? So a few things to think about. One is if you want to get to that point, you have to be aware of what you're doing. So spend some time thinking about when you've been in cosmetic listening. And I don't mean I was in cosmetic listening when I was in a meeting and I probably wasn't an integral part and I was zoned out of the meeting. I mean, in a one on one situation. When have you had one on one situations during today where actually you have you know full well you weren't listening? Why? Why did that happen? Why were you not listening? What was going on for you? What were you doing? What were you not doing? What impact 
did it have on the other person? Did you even notice? So have a think about where you've been at cosmetic listening. When you're in conversational listening and the shift from conversational listening to active listening is really about a few things. Don't try and solve the other person's problems. Don't try and second guess what it is that they're about to say next because you start to get into your own internal dialogue. Don't sit and think, oh, you know what? They've just told me that I wouldn't do it like that. I would do it so much better. I'd do it this way. Don't give advice and don't try and compete because that's all about you and that gets you back in your own internal dialogue and in your head. The other thing as well, the third thing I would say to you on this is try and ensure you're in the right environment. If you're going to have a coaching conversation practically, don't do it in an open floor. Do it in the right environment where there are limited to no distractions for both of you. If you find yourself going into cosmetic listening or conversational listening, stop, breathe and think this is about them and not me. So that's listening. Next slide, please. Um, so we're on to intuition. So this is a quick one. Um, intuition is a tricky one to teach um, because actually everyone is born with intuition. You all have intuition. So otherwise known as a gut instinct or a hunch or something where you're just sensing, you know, maybe you some maybe the other person isn't saying something. You kind of just know there's something that you should follow up on or you should follow. Um, and the reason why we don't always use our instinct is actually because our form, through our formative years or as we've grown up, actually, we've simply switched it off. Maybe our gut hasn't always you know, given us the right answer, but we've turned off our instinct. Coaching is about turning that turning that instinct back on again. So, you know, if you start to if you're in a conversation with somebody and they're doing the whole, yeah, I'm fine. It's all OK. It's all OK. And part of you is going, I don't think it is all OK. Follow your instinct. Um, you know, you often develop instinct when you're calm and when you're relaxed. So put yourself in that state of mind. And if you're not sure how to broach it, then say, look, I'm just throwing something out there. You know, I've got a bit of a gut instinct on this or I've got a bit of a hunch. I may be wrong, but da 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 da. Um, and the worst that can happen is the person will say, no, actually, that's not it. But what they normally say is, no, I don't think it's that. But now you've said it, actually, this is what comes to mind. So that's intuition. We've got a couple more to go and then I'm going to hand over to Andrew. Asking effective questions is the next in Julie Starr's five step framework. Now, we don't have time to spend, unfortunately, on the plethora of what an effective question is. But in short, an effective question is simple. It has a purpose. It is non-judgmental and it is not controlling or leading. What we're going to concentrate on here, so that is the basis of an effective question, but we're going to encourage you to think about open versus closed questions. Open questions are one of the best tools you can use as a coach. And if you're not sure what an open question is, it will start with the following words. And if you never remember this, when I, was, when I, when I got taught this in the coaching academy, they said, remember Henry VIII and his six wives and his wives start with a W and there's six W's. It was somewhat random, but actually it stuck with me. So anything starting with what, why, 
where, who, when, which. They're, they're the six W's of an open-ended question. And the last is how. So rather than do or can, use open-ended questions. And the reason why it's really useful to use open-ended questions is it encourages more dialogue. It encourages the person to be open with you. It encourages conversation. You often find when you're talking to somebody that they'll throw the nugget, they'll throw the problem right at the very end. And if you ask them an open-ended question and let them speak, you'll often find you get to the thing that's actually really what they want to talk about. And then the last thing before I hand over is, the la is constructive feedback. So constructive feedback is always a bit of a challenging one, and it's particularly difficult. Again, remember, you're going to be in the head of being a coach here. So constructive feedback is based on the following things. It's given with positive intent. So again, watch your intent. Too often feedback is negative or critical and it's negative or critical, even if it's in a feedback sandwich, you know, with a positive before and after, it's still negative and it's still critical. So think about your feedback and think about the following questions. Your feedback should be based on fact or behavior, not loose observation or opinion. It should be constructive and beneficial. Will the person benefit from learning what you're telling them? And there's a difference between will they benefit from the learning that you're giving them as opposed to you teaching them something? So will they benefit? Would your feedback damage their self-esteem or their self-confidence in a way that's really detrimental for them? Is your feedback specific where you can be and not generalized? And is it bite-sized to raise awareness? So for example, I notice you keep coming back to such and such in our conversation. I'm wondering why that is. Um, the other thing as well is what is equally important when giving feedback is when not to give feedback as a coach. And a couple of things to remember. Don't give feedback when the coachee is using it as an excuse to avoid taking responsibility. So, you know, I can't decide what do you think I should do? It's very easy to go and try and solve for them with, well, you know, my feedback would be such and such. Don't let them try and figure it out for themselves. And if you don't have enough information to give feedback effectively, so you're in a kind of, well, I think the answer might be or I guess I think it could be such and such. You don't have enough information there either. So perhaps refrain from doing it. So with that, I'm going to hand back to Andrew to uh, to finish the rest of the of the session. Fantastic. I was halfway through responding to um, a guy's um, link, but you can do that for me on chat. Um, basically, yeah, coaching is best done externally, but that's uh, a good. Um, Preston will add a better link. OK, next slide, please. We're going to move on uh, to the next section, uh, which is all about um, getting ready for change. So um, are you ready for change? Are you prepared for change? In the chat box, let me please know the magnitude of the change agenda you have for 2022. On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being high, 1 being low, how much change have you got to put through this year in the business? Let's have a look. 9.9, 10. Eight, only eight. Wow. Oh, eight, eight, eight. Not bad. Seven, ten, ten, five. Well done. <laughs> Fantastic. Eight, ten. Loads, right? You're seeing nines and silver. I'm surprised someone cheekily haven't put an 11. 
because uh, sometimes it certainly feels like that. Um, and a friend of mine, uh, he knows someone called Barry McGuigan. Depending on your age, you might not know Barry, but Barry was a very famous Irish boxer in the late 80s. He won Olympic gold medal. Um, and he said uh, to his friend Barry, he said, Barry, do you enjoy boxing? And Barry said, yes, the money's great, the fame is great. My friend said, Barry, do you enjoy being punched in the face? And Barry said, no, but if you don't want the opportunity to get the money, get out the ring. And so welcome to banking. Change is just part of the regular diet. If you don't want large scale change, you should get out of the ring and change industries. Um, a little bit trite, but it's right. So assuming you do want to stay, um, you will find yourself leading change, guaranteed. Um, I, like many of you, I've led, sponsored and delivered change programs in the tens and hundreds of millions. I've been COO, global head of operations. And if you haven't done this yet, I hope you really get the chance. Um, but to do so, you do have to be able to roll uh, with the punches. Um, and this means you need to change. Uh, and the people around you will need you to change. Um, so why don't you change? Why people don't change? Uh, what, why, why success so hard? And in my experience, it's always linked to some variant of fear. It's a fear of failure. It's fear of not having the right financial commitments. It's fear of not getting resources signed off or servers made available. It's fear the solution might not work. Fear that the project can't be done on top of everything else they do. The fear of impact on jobs. Um, this is often what uh, fear um, is about. And that fear creates a resistance uh, to change. Um, and uh, your job, should you chose to choose to accept it, is to overcome that resistance. So how do you coach people to do that? Um, let me show you a formula to dramatically help your approach to change and the coaching sessions you have. Can we have the next animation, please? There it is. So um, D, yeah, well, okay, that's fine. Stop there if you can, so I missed that. Um, so the first, oh, there we go. The answer's on the slide. That will speed up time. I was going to ask you to guess what they are, but they're there for you. This is the formula. Um, so it is um, D times V plus F times S is greater than R. Uh, what does it mean? Well, you've got the answer at the bottom there. And uh, you can see that D stands for dissatisfaction. Um, v is vision. So dissatisfaction times vision plus the first steps. That's F, F. First steps plus the support. Now, all that needs to be greater than the level of resistance. Now, this formula, um, you know, works for getting fit, works for dieting, works for breaking a habit. But let's take a banking example. Take a line manager running a team that's going to be impacted by a systems transformation program, and you are the coach. In this example, uh, we're going to pretend that the line manager has a resistance of 60% level to change. But good news, the transformation program is like no other. It had a strong start on day one. Uh, the line manager is really unhappy with their current status quo. So the good news is her dissatisfaction D is 10 out of 10. The sponsor's done a terrific job in selling the program. Don't they always do that? So the line manager's excited about the vision of the transformation. So that's an 8 out of 10. They had a program manager explain the program, and they've seen change before. So the line manager understands what the first steps are and gives the score 8 out of 10. So if you took it at that stage alone uh, and you have a total starting score of 10 for dissatisfaction times by 8 for vision, not difficult maths here, that gets you to 80, plus the 8 for first steps, and that's 88% at this stage. Now, if you didn't have the support at this stage um, and the resistance was only 60%, um, then good news. The case for change is 88% and the resistance is 60%. Uh, seems a good day one, right? Day one, the project progresses. Um, but actually, the form for change changes, and this is where this slide comes in, and you add the S in. And the S 
is, is the support, the support that they get. Now, if the support is low, say 30%, the sponsor disappears, the PM turns political, they've got no coaching support, the 80% is multiplied by 30 and the total becomes 24. So the resistance to change is higher than the ability for the will to change. In my experience, I've seen this countless times. Uh, the benefits are uh, fixed for a project. You're on your own as a line manager. So the importance of coaching is vital. And it doesn't take long using this equation uh, to work out. The easiest way to impact the outcome is to increase the level of support and decrease the level of resistance. And that's what coaching's all about, that coaching work. A successful coach using the skills Cresty's just outlined will ensure that the line manager is not just able to make this project successful, um, but you will equip the manager to develop transferable skills so all projects going forward are successful. That's the analogy of the fish um, and the net. So really um, big opportunity. I've had to rush through that because I'm seeing the clock go through, but there it is, the slide. Think about it and use it. And when you're coaching, you will notice one of these things isn't working. Maybe they're not that dissatisfied. Maybe they haven't got an understanding of the vision. Let's face it, we don't always have good sponsors. We don't always have good program managers uh, to help us with the first steps. And you can see where some of the problems are. But the key is the level of support you can provide in a coaching method, not a telling method to make it work. OK, let's move through to some slide summary of some top tips. Um, and there are some of the top tips there. What I'm looking for you to do now um, is to um, look at some tips and start thinking about putting down some of those BFOs, some of those blinding flashes of the obvious. What have you got from this session? Write it down. Why am I asking you to do that? Because if you put it down here, you're helping yourself and you're helping others pick up on that. So write them down while I summarize as we go through. Um, I get a coach. Get a coach yourself. It's one of the most important things to do. It makes it authentic. makes you get better at the same time. Chris and myself train all day long, train all a week long in coaching. It's a good thing to get an external coach. Gain some commitment. Um, say, isn't it interesting? I don't know. Um, yeah, basically look at the five-point model. Rapport, active listening, intuition, ask effective questions. Think about that formula for change. That formula for change is missing the plus Fs, but that's absolutely fine. Um, and if you put in the next animation on that, please, then remember, as Jim Rohn says, work harder on yourself than you can do on your job. I'm loving to see uh, these things come through. Um, but let's get some more of them come through in the BFOs. Um, it's really good. Better helps on solve product issues and solve themselves. Absolutely. Um, and let's move on to the next part, which is just looking at the book takeaway list. We thought we'd give you some books. These are so many good ones. Um, but there's the first ones to Jim Rohn, Seven Strategies for Wealth and Happiness. Definitely one to read every year. Uh, nice and easy. Coaching performance. This is a bit of a, this is one of the sort of the big ones. So John Whitmore, um, uh, absolute sort of classic. Uh, banking focus as well in introduction. Uh, if you like it, it's it's the it's the full text on this subject area. And obviously the coaching manual by Julie Starr. All good books. Lots of areas. I like the John Whitmore one particularly. Um, we were going to then go on and talk about um, get another opportunity of voting on mentee, but I think we're not going to do that. The question was going to be. How familiar are you with the concept of coaching after the session? And obviously we're hoping to see that slide move forward. Uh, and I'm sure it would have done um, with the content that we've got. But I thought I wanted to finish before I hand back to Gwen um, with my question again of are you growing or are you dying? So if you go to the next slide, please, um, I want to show you this picture. I don't know if anyone's been here before. I imagine some of you would have been actually. Um, it's, it's Death Valley. Nothing grows here. You're barely lucky to get half an inch of, or a couple of centimeters of rain for the whole year. It really is death. Temperatures can reach 130 degrees. 
That's 54 Fahrenheit, depending on what you like to measure. Um, and there's death, there's no growth. But in winter 2004, they got six inches of rain. I'd almost never seen before in the history um, of uh, Death Valley, hottest place on the world. Um, and something amazing happened. And I'm going to show you the next slide. Next slide, please. Yeah, look what happened. Flowers. Yes, flowers appeared. And this is a great metaphor for coaching. The seeds were always there. It looks like there's death, there's nothing can grow. But in your coaching, the seeds are always inside them. And with the right coaching, they can bloom. Gwen, back to you. Loving that punchline. Thank you very much, Andrew. Um, and those pictures as well. Very positive. Thank you. Uh, so you can see that Andrew and Cressida are uh, certified coaches and really, really are passionate about the topic and uh, are fantastic people. I personally also have a coach myself and I just always think it's a very good idea to work on yourself. Um, I will be sending the books um, as well on a on an email as a thank you for participating, um, as well as their email addresses if you wanted to reach out to Cressida or Andrew directly and see whether we can um, help you coach yourself or maybe yourself and your team. Thank you for joining. Thank you for participating. Um, this is recorded and we'll be also sending you the, the recording as well so you can view that and keep this for reference. Thank you very much. Next um, next events are in May. Um, we have a do's and don'ts of inclusive, inclusive leadership coming up. So if you would like to join us, let me know. Thank you. Have a good rest of the day. Bye-bye.